Welcome to the Happy Valley Baptist Church Sermons Podcast. We are so glad that you have decided to listen to the message that God has brought through Brother Gary this week. This sermon was recorded on Sunday, May 1st, 2016, and released on Wednesday, June 3rd, 2020. This week's message is titled, God vs. Science, and the scripture reference is Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 27. My prayer is that this message is a blessing to you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the sermon. Today, how many people read the religious page in the current Argus? I get so agitated at this type of stuff. The article title was, Believers of Creation and Evolution Clash. I'll just read you a few excerpts from it. It says, on one side, ardent claims for the inerrancy of Scripture and the absolute definition of creation as a six-day act of God. Equally entrenched on the other side of the volatile debate was the pre-assumed scientific probability of the Big Bang, followed by 14 billion years of gradual evolution. And another section in the middle is compared to the hard evidence of modern science, it is easy to discount people of faith for being ignorant, for holding fast to ancient superstitions, unprovable interpretations of scriptures. Did y'all get that? If you're like me, you're ignorant. A person of faith does not need to reject the realities of science in order to proclaim a creator God. As Christians, we are freed from the confines of ancient superstitions and empowered by the Spirit to breathe life into our world today. So, what we believe, you know, as a Southern Baptist minister, as a Christian for many years, born saved when I was 13 years old, I firmly believe that this book, the Holy God, the Holy Word of God, is correct without error from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation chapter 22. And I believe that is one of the foundations of our faith, is the inerrancy of the Bible. So my title of this sermon this morning is God versus Science. Now, I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I prepared this sermon on Wednesday. This article come out yesterday. Had nothing to do, <laughs> but God had an idea what was happening. The definition of science is knowledge based on observed facts and tested truths arranged in an orderly system. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we start. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity to be in your house today, Father. We pray, Lord, that you would take the word as we preach it and that we will use it to your honor and your glory today. We ask everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is the definition I just read you is a definition from the dictionary. It's a simple definition. Science is a... Uh, many of you that are my age remember that the biblical story of creation was what was taught in science classes when we were in school many years ago. 
Now, liberal politicians and educators have pushed creation as taught by the Bible is nothing more than a fairy tale, or as Mr. Rogers referred to it, as superstitions. We will debate this question today. Proclaiming facts and truths is a necessary event in order to come to a scientific conclusion. Y'all didn't know you was going to come to a science class today, did you? <laughs> scientific method of research. This is it, folks. This is in every science book in America. Identify a problem or a question. Number two, gather all the pertinent data. Number three, form a hypothesis. Number four, perform experiments to test your hypotheses. Number five, interpret the results. And number six, draw a definite conclusion. Let me give you an example. This is a real simple example of the scientific method being used. Let's just say, for instance, that I had the opinion or I had the question, what happens to water if I apply fire to it? Well, uh, let's go through the, if we gather all the data, so we get this little uh, pan full of water, and we turn the stove on, so we've got fire, and we've got water in a pan. Now, my hypothesis is that if I put this pan of water on the fire, that it's going to boil. Okay? That's my opinion. Well, I perform experiments to test my hypotheses. I put that pan of water on the fire, and lo and behold, in about two or three minutes, it's boiling. I'm right. So I've interpreted results. You put a pan of water on fire, and it's going to burn. It's going to boil. So I've drawn a definite conclusion that a pan of water placed upon a fire will boil. Got it? That is a scientific method of, of deciding whether something is true or not. How simple it might be doesn't matter. It still proves the point. <laughs> now, how did scientists in our schools ever decide that evolution is a fact and a truth? Use our scientific method of research with evolution as our topic. As an unbelieving scientist, I could see where he'd have the question, where did we come from? He's not a Christian. He's never even read the book of Genesis. So how would he have an idea where we might have originated from? Well, one such scientist was named Charles Darwin who tried this one time. Author of the book called Origin of Species. If you apply steps number two through six of the scientific method to his theory, it doesn't work, folks. There is absolutely whatsoever no scientific proof whatsoever that evolution ever occurred. So let's look at God's story for just a moment. You got your Bibles today, turn to Genesis chapter 1. We don't have to look too far for that one, do we? First book, first page. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start reading this morning in verse number 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. 
And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, which seed was in itself. After his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and to rule over the day over, and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and that God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth to open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creatures that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. And every wing fell after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the mornings were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything which creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and let, and over every creeping thing which creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. It is my belief that we must accept God's creation by faith. The Bible says that is the way creation happened. Some re refer to it as fairy tales. Some as superstitions. I refer to it as facts. Were you there? Anybody see the creation take place? 
Do you have pictures of the days of creation? Did anyone interview Adam or Eve to document the story of creation? That answer to these silly questions is no. We have no evidence of the creation of God other than our faith in, in God. I accept this to be the truth by faith. You cannot pick and choose your beliefs. As a Christian, we want to believe the good stuff sometimes, but if we think something's a superstition, we don't want to believe it. Well, Jesus paid the debt for our sins. He, as a Christian, we believe that Jesus Christ died on Calvary for our sins and that he paid the debt of sin that all might be saved if we will only ask. We believe Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. He arose and lives today at the right hand of Lord God. He sits at the right hand side of God making intercession for you and me for our sins. We are forgiven of our sins. Thanks to Jesus, our souls are saved from eternal damnation. We all want to believe this. And I do believe this. But what makes that believable and creation not believable? The same God that gives us a way to be saved is the same God that created our earth. He's the same God that created many miracles along the way. You cannot straddle a fence. You must stand on one side or the other. You believe in your salvation from your sins? You must believe in God's creation story. You must believe Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. You must believe that God departed the Red Sea. These are all miracles performed by God. But nevertheless, they are true. They are true if we accept God's word as inerrant truth from cover to cover. We must accept this in word as being this unquestionable truth. For your information, just for you to know that I'm not just talking off the hip, Christian scientists have more proof of creation than any atheist evolutionist can claim. There is absolute proof that our entire earth was once covered completely by water, as the Bible tells us. Evidence of the ark has been discovered and documented. So these are fairy tales that have been proven, huh? A forged hammerhead of iron was discovered within a stone. Now, your evolutionists want to tell you you were 14 billion years old, but how did a hammerhead get forged inside of, a forged hammerhead get inside of a stone if that technology to make that hammerhead was only available within the last 6,000 years? This theology was only possible in the last 6,000 years. The archaeological find was discovered in Glen Rose, Texas. Oh yes, we know there's been dinosaur tracks in that river there for many years. But there's one particular dinosaur track that the evolutionists refused to talk about. In this one particular track 
was discovered the print in, it was on a fossil of an amoeba, which the evolutionists claim we came from. Within this track was the footprint of a saber-toothed tiger, which evolutionists claim has been extinct for over a million years. Okay, in this one dinosaur track, we have the skeleton of an amoeba, we have the footprint of a saber-toothed tiger, and fourth, we have a footprint of a human being, all within the same fossil. The dinosaur, the amoeba, the tiger, and man were probably all fleeing the flood at the time when this track was made. Our Earth is only a little over 6,000 years old, folks, regardless of what the scientists tell us. And Satan's attack on Christianity. Satan had to make Christians doubt biblical truths. We've experienced a decline, and we were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. We've just experienced a tremendous decline in our education system over the last 30 or 40 years. Our education level is compared, we used to lead the world as far as scholars graduating from our high schools. This year they give the statistic in Carlsbad that 38% of our senior class will not graduate. Uh, folks, it, it's bad. Uh, we've had the decline of our education system. We have the what's called the humanism doctrine. Humanism doctrine simply says, if it feels good, do it. You can't tell me I'm right or wrong. Whatever I do is okay. And that is, uh, schools are progressively becoming more and more liberal as time goes on. Then we have liberalism within the churches, folks. You think the sermon I'm preaching this morning will be believed by every Christian in America? Should be, but no. There's churches in this town. There's churches across America that would make fun of me for preaching the Word of God. Christians began to doubt biblical truths. Bold contradictions of the Bible were made. Not No creation, but evolution. No Virgin Mary. Only a God of love. He's not going to send nobody to hell. He's not going to let anybody go to hell. We don't have a God of wrath. Well, folks, he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Salvation is available for everyone that will accept him as Savior. But at the same time, we must teach that in our churches. We must teach a God of love, but we must also teach a God of wrath. And there's a flip side to being saved and going to heaven, and that other flip side is you're going to die and go to hell. So we must be able to teach that in our churches today. You know I like to read stories. Well, I've got one that I think you will appreciate. Listen carefully to it, though, so you'll catch the story, the whole story. God versus science. Let me, this is a professor speaking, a professor of philosophy. Only D I ever made in college was philosophy. I was in a monster class of 900 stupid freshman kids <laughs> taking the subject of philosophy. And I don't think there's ever been a professor of philosophy in the history of America that believed in God. They just don't. Anyway, let me explain the problem science has with religion. 
the atheist professor of philosophy pauses before his class, and then they ask one of his new students to stand. You're a Christian, aren't you, son? Yes, sir, the student says. So you believe in God? Absolutely. Is God good? Sure, God's good. Is God all-powerful? Can God do anything? Yes. Are you good or evil? The Bible says that I'm evil. The professor grins knowingly. Ah, the Bible. He considers for a moment. There's one for you. Let's say there's a sick person over here, and you can cure him. You can do it. Would you help him? Would you try? Yes, sir, I would. So you're good. I wouldn't say that. But why wouldn't you say that? You'd help a sick and maimed person if you could. Most of us would if we could, but God doesn't. The student does not answer, so the professor continues. He doesn't, does he? My brother was a Christian who died of cancer. Even though he prayed to Jesus to heal him, how is this Jesus good? Can you answer that one? The student remains silent. No, you can't, can you? The professor says, he takes a sip of water from a glass of the desk to give the student time to relax. Let's start again, young fella. Is God good? Uh, yes, the student says. Is Satan good? The student doesn't hesitate on this one. No. Then where does Satan come from? The student falters from God. That's right. God made Satan, didn't he? Tell me, son, is there evil in this world? Yes, sir. Evil's everywhere, isn't it? And God did make everything, correct? Yes. So who created evil? The professor continued. If God created everything, then God created evil. Since evil exists, and according to the principle that our works define who we are, then God is evil. Again, the student has no answer. Is there sickness, immorality, hatred, ugliness, all these terrible things? Do they exist in the world? The student squirms on his feet. Yes. So who created them? The student does not answer. So the professor repeats this question. Who created them? There is still no answer. Suddenly the lecturer breaks away to pace in front of the classroom. The class is mesmerized. Tell me, he continues on unto another student, do you believe in Jesus Christ, son? The student voice betrays him and cracks, yes, professor, I do. The old man stops pacing. Science says you have five senses you can use to identify and observe the world around you. Have you ever seen Jesus? No, sir, I have never seen him. Then tell us if you've ever heard your Jesus. No, sir, I have not. Have you ever felt your Jesus, tasted your Jesus, or smelt your Jesus? Have you ever had any sensory perception of Jesus Christ, or God for that matter? No, sir, I'm afraid I haven't. Yet you still believe in him? Yes. According to the rules of empirical, testable, demonstrable protocol, science says your God doesn't exist. What do you say to that, son? Nothing, the student replies. I only have my faith. Yes, faith, the, the professor repeats, and that is the problem since science has with God. There is no evidence, only faith. 
the student stands quietly for a moment before asking a question of his own. Professor, is there such a thing as heat? Yes. And is there such a thing as cold? Yes, son, there's cold too. No, sir, there isn't. The professor turns to face the student, obviously interested. The room suddenly becomes very quiet. The student begins to explain. You can have lots of heat, even more heat, superheat, mega heat, unlimited heat, white heat, a little heat or no heat. But we don't have anything called coal. We can get down to 458 degrees below zero, which is no heat, but we can't go any further after that. There is no such thing as coal. Otherwise, we would be able to go colder than the lowest, negative 458 degrees. Every body or object is susceptible to study when it has or transmits energy. And heat is what makes a body or matter have or transmit energy. Absolute zero minus 458 degrees Fahrenheit is the total absence of heat. You see, sir, cold is only a word we use to describe the absence of heat. We cannot measure cold. Heat we can measure in thermal units because heat is energy. Cold is not the opposite of heat, sir, just the absence of it. Silence across the room. A pin drops somewhere in the classroom, sounding like a hammer. What about darkness, Professor? Is there such a thing as darkness? You're wrong again, sir. Well, the professor prior to that said, yes. What is night if it isn't darkness? You're wrong again, sir. Darkness is not something. It is the absence of something. You can have low light, normal light, bright light, flashing light, but if you have no light constantly, you have nothing. And it's called darkness, isn't it? That's the meaning we use to define the word. In reality, darkness isn't. If it were, you wouldn't be able to make darkness darker, wouldn't you? The professor begins to smile at the student in front of him. This will be a good semester. So what point are you making, young man? Yes, professor, my point is your philosophical premise is flawed to start with, and so your conclusion must also be flawed. The professor's face cannot hide his surprise this time. Flawed? Can you explain how? Well, you're working on the premise of duality, the student explained. You argue that there's life and then there's death, a good God and a bad God. You're viewing the concept of God as something finite, something we can measure. Sir, science can't even explain a thought. It uses electricity and magnetism, but has never seen, much less fully understood, either one. To view death as the opposite of life is to be ignorant of the fact that death cannot exist as a substantive thing. Death is not the opposite of life, just the absence of it. Now tell me, Professor, do you teach your students that they evolved from a monkey? If you're referring to the natural evolutionary process, young man, yes, of course I do. Have you ever observed evolution with your own eyes, sir? The professor begins to shake his head, still smiling, as he realizes where this argument is going. A very good semester indeed. 
since no one has ever observed the process of evolution at work and come out and improved that this process is an ongoing endeavor, are you not teaching your opinion, sir? Are you now not a scientist but a preacher? The class is in an uproar. The student remained silent until the commotion had subsided. To continue the point was being made earlier to the other student, let me give you an example of what I mean. The student looks around the room. Is there anyone in this class who has ever seen the professor's brain? The class breaks out into laughter. Is there anyone who ever has heard the professor's brain, felt the professor's brain, touched or smelt the professor's brain? No one appears to have done so. So according to the established rules of empirical stable demonstrative protocol, science says that you have no brain with due respect, sir. So if science says you have no brain, now how can we trust your lecture, sir? Now the room is silent. The professor just stares at the student, his face unreadable. Finally, after what seems an eternity, the old man answers, I guess you have to take them on faith. <laughs> now you accept that there is faith, and in fact, faith exists within life, the student continues. Now, sir, is there such a thing as evil? Now uncertain, the professor responds, of course there is. We see it every day. It's in the daily example of man's humanity to man. It is in the multitude of crime and violence everywhere in the world. These manifestations are nothing else but evil. To this, the student replied, evil does not exist, sir. Or at least it does not exist unto itself. Evil is simply this absence of God. It is like darkness and cold a word that man has created to describe the absence of God. And God did not create evil. Evil is the result of what happens when man does not have God's love present in his heart. It's like the cold that comes when there is no heat or the darkness that comes when there is no light. The professor sat down. By the way, that student that put the professor down was named Albert Einstein. <laughs> I would have hated to have that student in my class. <laughs> God expects his children to be Christians of faith. That's what we're to be. We must believe the Bible from cover to cover. I cannot take and I will not take the philosophy that you can take the part in the Bible that tells you how to be saved and say the rest of it's a fairy tale. I, I can't do that. The Bible is the actual word of God, inspired word of God. I will live and die believing the Bible is the absolute truth. My question today to you is what about you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer as the musicians and Brother Terry comes. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that your blessings be upon our service. If anybody's been touched today that needs to make a decision, we would love to Happy Valley Baptist Church to be the home. If somebody doesn't know you as their Savior, Father, we pray that they would come and let us show them in God's Word, in your Word, how they can be saved. Lord, Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for all that's, that we've heard and seen today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. To stay up to date on all the happenings at Happy Valley Baptist Church, you can go to facebook.com slash hvbcnm. That is facebook.com 
slash HVBCNM, as in Happy Valley Baptist Church, New Mexico. To find additional podcast sermons, you can go to podcast.hvbcnm.org. We would also like to invite you to come worship with us if you are in the Carlsbad, New Mexico area. We are at 4103 West Texas Street in Carlsbad. Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. and Sunday morning services start at 10.45 a.m. Thank you and God bless.